Before I introduce our speaker to, for tonight, we are very privileged because we have a guest speaker next Sunday morning as well, who's the National Director for the uh, Vineyards right across South Africa. But we have a speaker here tonight who is the National Director of the Vineyards right across the United States, the largest vineyard movement in the world. Now, there are vineyard churches in at least 60 countries around the world, vineyard presence in, I'm told, about 90 countries, and all the national directors are here this week. So we began first thing this morning, it's running right through till the end of Friday, but we're hosting it here in the building, and these people have come, uh, traveled huge distances, and come from 18 different countries, representing 24 countries, and speaking 11 languages. So we are absolutely thrilled to be hosting this. John and Eleanor Mumford have, uh, for the last 29 or so years, led the Vineyard Church's movement in this country. They handed over to Debbie and myself back in September. And their role now is really internationally to coordinate and help to nurture and train new movements and new movement leaders as they emerge across the world. Something is happening extraordinary in countries pretty much every continent you can name, we have people represented here. So it's hugely exciting. And tonight, as I say, we have Phil and Jan Strout. We have Phil speaking, who leads the Vineyard Churches across the US. Would you please welcome Phil Strout. Thank you, John. Well, good evening. It's a joy to be with you again. Um, if you wanna open your Bibles or turn on your equipment. There was a day you could just say, open the Bible, but now it's turn on your device and click to here, to the book of Matthew. I'd like to chat for a few minutes tonight about something um, that I think is applicable around the world, but let me tell you a quick story as I, the title of my talk tonight is A Peaceful Presence, A Peaceful Presence. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were uh, at a restaurant, and we had just come off from a day working on our small farm, and we'd had a wonderful day, a really wonderful day. We had just worked and, and, and spent time together, and I said, how would you like to go out to dinner? So we, go, we, we picked our favorite restaurant, and when we got there, it's a restaurant we've gone to uh, off and on for the last 42 years. Matter of fact, they led us to the same table where I proposed to my wife 41 years ago. So, th yeah, that's, oh, it was wonderful. And as we sat down, I thought, this is excellent. I was, I sat on the same place as she sat on the same place. We had looked into each other's eyes and said all those magic things. And we were as relaxed non-anxious moments, we were just good. And up walked the lady who was going to attend the table, a nervous wreck. Oh, I'm so busy, I'll come back, but uh, um, yes, uh, uh, oh, do you want anything? Do you need anything? Like, no, we just came here to hang out. And we said, look, look, we're fine. We're not in a hurry. We have all night. We're, we're, we're just going to enjoy a meal. And, and, um, 
in about 30 seconds, her anxiousness was transferred to us. We had walked in there totally in love. And in 30 seconds, we were at each other. No, not so much. I realize you can't exaggerate when your spouse is sitting right there. No, we, we, we actually, over the night, we kept saying to this very nice lady, she, you, you know, you have no idea what's going on in her life, in her home, in her, with her children, in her marriage. Or, hey, we had no idea. But all night, we just kept saying, we're good. We're good. Thank you. How are you? And, and, and it just is such, it was one of those snapshots, one of those pictures of what's going on in our world today. Because if you haven't noticed, I'm gonna try to do this on three different disciplines tonight, a little bit of like world news, a little bit of sociology, and then with a theological um, idea. So let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. We pray that as we just open your word, as we look at this whole thing of a peaceful presence, we, we just ask you if you could just help us Take a deep breath tonight and realize that the anxiousness and the anxiety and the stress and the burdens that are just being propagated almost in news and politics and life and money and, Lord, we're, we're just going to ask you to help us think about this tonight. Lord, I pray that as we, as we do this, I pray that you would come in a special way for people who are just carrying more in their mind, in their body, in their, their psyche, their, they're just carrying more than they can carry. Would you come tonight and minister in a way that only you can do because you know, you know where that stress is, Lord. You know where that anxiety is. You know where that burden is. You know the number of tears that have been shed. So come, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh. We wait on you tonight in a your peaceful presence. Come, Lord. Amen. Here's my big idea. If I do my job in the next 15, 20 minutes, how can I help release or carry that burden? How can I help release? Or how could I carry that burden? I really don't care. It's not the exact words. What, how can we lighten this thing up a little bit? The church should be the least anxious entity in the world. The church. Not just in the meeting, the gathering of the church, just the church. The entity of the church. Whether the church is meeting in the shopping area, if the church is at the mall, when you and I as the church are at the university, or you and I as the church are at the hospital, or you and I are, are, are the church at the sporting event. 
Couldn't, wouldn't it be good if we actually were the least anxious of people? A burden is something that is carried, a load. Often it is used as something oppressive and worrisome. You don't have to be a sociologist to understand that the world is right now at an anxious level, an anxiety level, unprecedented in history. We prayed earlier, thy kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, the Lord's prayer. And there's a tension in that because we say, God, have it your way on the earth as it is in heaven. And I'm thinking, wow, if as heaven is as uptight as the earth is, Something's wrong. We're saying we, would, we want what's going on there to happen here, but then as I look out across here, you see a complexity or a perplexity that, that is how do, we, how do we explain those that have no food and those that have no clean water? We say thy kingdom come, but we have to, we have to reconcile that with children who are becoming soldiers we say the kingdom is coming, but we have to say, but children are living in slavery. We say the kingdom come, but children are being sold in sex trade. How do we, how do we reconcile that we're saying the kingdom has come, and yet there is such panic on the earth? How do we look at the earth when there's 85 individuals that use the amount of money in their luxurious lives that 3.5 billion of the poorest in the world use. Inequality and injustice and pain and addiction and brokenness. Thy kingdom come, yes. We want, I don't, I never talk with anybody who says, I would like things to get worse on the earth. Not a serious conversation. But in all honesty, this is what we have. Jesus in Matthew 11, I'd like you to click your device onto Matthew 11. Jesus says something so apropos, so real, and is so transcendent with culture and history and time, uh, application. He looks at a very distraught people Remember, he looked at him and made comment, they're like sheep without a shepherd. That was his analysis. But in Matthew 11, Jesus said this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I was thinking, that lady in that restaurant, she just needed a breath. She needed something that would reach over and just, and, and, and I, I don't know what it was, but you could just tell she was carrying more than she could carry. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My, the Lord says, my burden is light. Really, God? When you look at the hatred and the polemic reality of politics and ideologies that are just spewed across the airwaves in all of our countries, really? Your yoke is easy and 
the situation is what it is, I, I, I believe this is a thing we really, really, we're going to have to just dial into because when burdens that continuously breed a high level of stress in our own lives, if, if, if it is not dealt with in some way, if it's not addressed in a, in a way that really helps, then it disables and it destroys and burdens that are not navigated well become, we, we project those onto other people because we have to do something with them. Now, Jesus knew about burdens on people because he actually gave a little bit of a warning, especially concerning religious systems, if you notice. Matthew 23, you don't have to turn there because we'll, we'll stay right, we'll be in the book of Matthew, but I just want to read this piece. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and to do and observe, but they do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. That's an interesting indictment that the religious system is actually adding to some of the burdens on these people. Now, in a little bit of my research, thinking about this, when I, it was a number of months ago when John and Debbie asked if, when we, we came if we would share with the Trent Vineyard, which is a, a, a great honor, I really, I actually, this is where I went. So in some of my research, what I did was I don't want to talk about the stress level of my country because it's off the Richter scale. So I did a little research about your country. And in my research, I found that in 2013, there were 8.2 million cases of anxiety in the UK. The total number of working days lost due to this condition in 14 and 15 were 9.9 .9 million days of work were missed. And in interviews, the reason given was stress-related. Stress accounted for 35% of all work-related ill health cases and 43% of all working, 43% of all working days lost due to ill health had relationship not to broken bones and pulled muscles, but to stress and anxiety that had generated emotional and mental fatigue. Then I switched my, some of my research to university students and realize I'm not going to go into that tonight directly, but I believe I would introduce it as something for you to go and take a good look at because it's, I, would, I, I don't want to exaggerate, use the word epidemic, but around the world, that age group and the reality and the stress and the economic stress of being able to afford the education that people want and I, I can, we can just go on and on and on. And I was just taking statistics and research from, from here. This is my, my next line. And it's, it's a statement. It's a question. It's a hope. It's a desire. But this is why I, I, I'm, I'm starting to talk a lot about this 
with our vineyard churches, with our vineyard pastors, we should be able to say that the church is the most peaceful, non-anxious entity in society. We, we, well, let's hope we could say that. Well, let's say that. Now, we did a little bit of a tour of your campus here this afternoon, and you know, I was like, I could see why people would want to come on this campus and hide. Kindness, tranquility, a cup of coffee. I have my priorities. <laughs> Gentleness, listening. We might say, I don't know. I don't know all of Nottingham. This might be the most peaceful place. Good. Because our, our people need it, not just our people as those who congregate, but the people amongst whom we live. Jesus really understood this. It, it, and this is why I use the word, it transcends time. Matthew chapter 6, a wonderful, very, very well-known passage. And, and in my Bible, um, the little headline for that little piece of Scripture actually says the cure for anxiety. Really, Jesus? Were you a social scientist? Were you a behavioral therapist? You actually, you actually understood where the humans go. You, you understand. And with the, with the acceleration of time and science and travel, it just, it just keeps making this thing go faster and faster. When we, you know, where, where, where we say our flight was delayed and it's going to take us seven hours to get to London from New York. My flight is delayed. Oh, no, I'm going to get there an hour or an hour and a half late. There was a day that took six months. Today, two movies and a nibble, we're in London. Your iPhones have more computing technology than NASA had when they put two men on the moon. But the acceleration of this pushes and pushes and pushes, and there's, there, there, there's no entity to just say, deep breath. Back it off. It's okay. This is where, so let me just read this incredible passage. Matthew 6, verse 25. If you want to click your device there, or if you're like me, turn the page. For this reason I say to you, now remember, this may seem a little sterile to us, but this is Jesus talking to real people in real time with real needs, real burdens, and real stress. Jesus didn't do random. There was something he was addressing. And I think tonight, my prayer, this doesn't have to be belabored long, my prayer is that, that we discern what burdens we are to carry, which is a whole other subject, but which burdens we just were not made to carry. And sometimes we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. There's actually so much, as I've, as I've, begin to, I've begun to drill into this, this issue of societal anxiety, I'm realizing how much Jesus, and actually Pauline theology, addresses this very thing. So he says in verse 25, Matthew 6, 25, For this reason I say to you, 
Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of, and, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. You have little faith. I don't think that's a put down. It's just Jesus naming him little faith. That's what he called little faith. That's your new name, little faith. No, he's just saying, I get this. Do not worry then. And I, I often say, you know, God, this preaches well. But I'm on this side. And when I read stuff like that, I don't know about me. Have you ever been, has anybody here besides me ever been irritated with something they read in the Scriptures? Do not worry then saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What will we wear for clothing? Where will I study? Who will I marry? How will I pay for my education? How do I pay for the medicine? How do I pay for the mortgage? I didn't see that coming. There's a lot of month left at the end of the money. I mean, there's so much we can put in here of the things that the people amongst whom we live dwell on every day, and we do. These are real things. These are real things, you know. But here's where where this takes a good turn. I love this. He says, verse 32, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And he's just making reference to, he's speaking to Israel here. He says, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Okay. And I'm good. I'm good with that. Then he gives us a little bit of an indicator, a nudge, we might say, of what has to happen here. Where he says one of this famous, famous, famous verses of the scriptures, of the words of Jesus that preaches well, but lives hard. Because it's one thing to say, oh, don't do that. Oh, don't worry about that. Oh, don't worry about that. Then what do I do? He says, let's recenter. And there's this, this, this passage that we've sung for, well, I've, I've been walking the, with Jesus for about the last 42 years, and it was around when I started. So, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't know if there's a more, more apropos, relevant statement that we need. Because 
the church in its peaceful identity as a solution, not a participant, nor a contributor to the, the problem. And that is that peaceful presence. And it's not a cop-out. I'm not just saying a willy-nilly, hey, God knows. But I didn't write this. But it's, isn't it interesting that no matter what continent you come from, or what day you live in, what age, what language you speak, what color your skin is, what ethnicity or cultural reality, through the ages, men and women have been able to look at this, and God is saying, I, I understand what it is to be human, and I've got it covered. I'm, I, this is language that helps me. I'm the papa. I'm dad. I've got it covered. Well, Lord, that's good. No, that's either true or it's not true. Somewhere what we know the scriptures say and what we actually believe has to come into play because that's what actually governs what we end up doing. Now, this is, if this isn't true, then we're suckers. We bought into something that's not true. Can I say that word? I'm sorry. We're, we've been fooled. We've, 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 because th this can't be a little bit true. This is not existential. This is, well, if it's true for you, then it's true. This is either true or it's not true. God does know or he doesn't know. He does ha have our life covered or he does not have his life covered. So we've got to start with a bottom premise that God really does have this thing covered. Now, as a dad, I'm also a granddad. I know I don't look old enough, but I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grandfather. And uh, we're at a place, Jen and I, in our life where we parent down, we parent up. Our parents are elderly. Our, our, our parents, uh, Jan's father is still with us. My mother is still with us. But our, my, my dad and Jan's mom are, are with the Lord. Um, so when, when, when we go out, when we take them out, I pay. And when we, we have two grown children who are both married, and they both have three children, so that's 12 when we go out to eat or whatever we, whatever we do. I pay. Well, why? Because I'm the papa. I've got it covered. You know, right? So I've realized I'm just in that age of life where I pay down, I pay out, and I pay up. And I, we're out to dinner with, with my, my son and his wife, my daughter and her husband. And whenever I say that, you know, when we're, we're in town, we're not there that much, but when we're there, the, the girls always organize a dinner and uh, my daughter picks good places because she knows who's paying. <laughs> and I don't mind. And, but I, I, I can't remember how long ago this was, but at some point, I mean, you know, my, my, my son's like 39, my daughter's 36, their spouses, they're well into their careers, they do quite well. I, I said, well, you, you know, at some point, you know, this, the, the, this is going to turn over. At some point, the bill is coming to your side of the table. And I was just sort of like posturing, like, you know, someday you're going to begin to pay. They looked at me like, whatever. <laughs> that might be the dumbest thing you've ever said to us, Dad. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just letting you know, you know, that, that some, there's a, the gravy train has to end somewhere. We got out in the car, leaving the restaurant that night. When we got out in the car, my wife looked at me and she goes, I don't know how, if, I don't know if this translates well or not, but she looked at me, she said, you're so full of hot air. 
Would you say, how would you say that? You're, you're just full of hot air. Would you say that? Like, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're full of hot air. And I said, well, why would you say that? She said, you told the kids that some, at some point they're going to begin to pay. I said, well. She goes, you know, I, you wouldn't let that happen until the day you die. You wouldn't let those kids pay. I go, well, I know that, but I don't want them to know that. <laughs> you see, folks, there is a God in heaven who knows the brokenness and the pain of the earth. And I know it sounds simplistic, but I think the Papa has it covered. It's executed through churches like the Trent Vineyard. The peaceful presence of a church like this that truly bears the burdens of the people amongst whom you live. You do not add to their burden with criticism. Those that w where we live, it's one thing to be critical of a society and its ways and its trajectory and where it's going. But what the, the world really doesn't need a critical church looking at it and the, the church looking at the world. It needs a diacritical church. It needs a church that not only can look at what's wrong but offers a difference. That's diacritical. And there is a major difference in our faiths, in the expressions of churches and expressions of faith, how the church actually relates. And I believe that it is our homework, it's part of our assignment, part of our reality on the earth is to be a diacritical community. Not one that criticizes, but one that observes and has alternatives. That's what I experience when I come here. You walk around this campus and you see it. See. And then you go out there into your worlds, the realities of your studies and your, your professions, and you become the most peaceful presence that some of those people will ever experience. Now, in closing, let me just say this. Sometimes we do, our, we, we are given burdens. I, I'm just not going to develop that thought, and you can, you can go out and debate it amongst yourselves. And you say, well, God would give burdens. I think there's, there's burdens in life. And they transform us into the image of Christ. It's like Jesus when he prayed that the cup would be removed. He once prayed, Father, if, you, if, if, if there's any other way to do this, let this cup pass from me. Then he had this incredible, the, 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 what, what Ignatius, St. Ignatius would call the, the prayer of indifference, not my will but yours be done. And he drank that cup, although it was filled with angst and wrath and, and, and burden and abandonment, but he drank it. And he gives us cups to drink, and we drink those cups, and those cups transform us into the image of Christ. And as one of these processes of discerning, what burdens do we carry, what do we not carry? That we just simply say, God, you, I stay on my side of the line. I am not a manual God with us, and that's way above my pay grade. So I've decided, I've, I'm, because I could be an anxious person in situations, because I'm a, a bit driven, a bit, just a bit, a little bit. But I have to stay on my side of the line. And nobody can be a burden exporter more than, at times, religious leaders. Because we see things, and we want to do things. And the church is the place to take those burdens off. Your papa's got it covered. 
Some of you, even when I just say the word anxiety about finances, you know what I'm talking about. Anxiety about children. Anxiety about education. Anxiety about getting through with studies and life, marriage, profession, and, and all of a sudden it just And then the, the injustice that you see and you feel so impotent, you feel so unable to actually look and address because it's one crisis in the world. Because of, because of technology in advance, we know 12 seconds after there's a devastating earthquake in Nepal, in Haiti, in Chile, it, we, know, we know around the world. We know this fire, this gigantic fire sweeping uh, uh, through this, this town in Canada. We've all known it because, because of, of technology, but we feel so impotent at times to really make a difference. Carry what we carry. One of the archbishops of the Catholic Church in El Salvador, Oscar Romero, once said, he said, we always have to remember we, set it, we are setting things in motion, and we set in motion some things we'll never see the completion of. And he has this one phrase I love, I love, I love. He says, we are messengers, not messiahs. We, don't, we were not made to carry a lot of the things that, that life is throwing towards society. So I just want to say, Jesus was not being insensitive when he said all these things about don't worry about this, don't worry about that, don't worry about that. Just seek me. No, there's, there's something to that. If we could drill in there, I mean drill into what that means. He's basically saying, and I wouldn't pretend I can give a good synopsis. Jesus said it well, and I'm sure he feels affirmed that I feel that way. But <laughs> He said, look, Saturate yourself with me. I'm good at finishing what I start. I mean, it's all, think of all the scriptures you might know in your mind. Faithful is he that calls, that he also brings it to pass. I'm being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Matthew 6 clearly says your father knows you need those things. So, in, in a sense, this is a bit pastoral, a bit word, I think, that's very present. And I don't care if you live in Afghanistan, Paris, Tokyo, New York, Los Angeles, Santiago, Rio de Janeiro, it really doesn't matter where you live. This whole thing of the, 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 the magnitude of the speed and the drivenness of our world is affecting all languages, all cultures, all people groups. And we, the church... Let's be the most peaceful presence that some of these people would ever experience. So, Father, we come to you and we thank you that if this is not true, we have a lot bigger problems. But if it is true, help us drill in here. 